everyone, and welcome once again to Starship Podcast Warlock. My name is Drew. My name is Jeff. And we are on the second episode of Season 3, or Series 3, of Starship Podcast Warlock, which means we're watching Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, if you came into this uh, looking for Blackadder or The Young Ones, you are in the wrong season. Uh, please uh, turn your vehicle around and go and drive to Season 1 or Season 2. If you are here for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you have come to the right place. What if I'm here for, like, you know, Blake 7 or something? Ooh, you are in the, uh, you were in the past, uh, visiting from the future, or you're trying mm. to get to the future from the past. Regardless, uh, you'll have to wait until uh, Series 8 of this podcast to do that. Okay, I'll wait. I'll be right Actually, here. that would be fun to watch, but they are long. I, I wasn't uh, necessarily suggesting it. We seem to be doing comedies more than anything else. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, why not a happy-go-lucky science fiction series about a totalitarian government that pacifies the populace with drugs and false accusations? And funniest last episode ever. <laughs> it is hilarious. Okay, it's not really. Um... So we're, we're going to be talking about uh, and watching episode two, of course, of the series uh, very shortly. But before we do that, I thought we might do one of our little traditional uh, career retrospectives. Yeah, I guess so. Retrospectives about the author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is Douglas Adams. Uh, and as yes. usual, if you are a longtime listener, you know that we here at Starship Podcast Warlock take scholarship and research very seriously. Um, we go through the entire Wikipedia page and not just the summary before the main section starts. So you can expect I the full complement of facts and precise information uh, that you uh, that you get from Wikipedia. I mean, I, I will say that uh, I, I feel like both of us have probably read uh, enough about Douglas Adams from other places other than this. So this is supplanting stuff or supplementing stuff. I think that we already know, like uh, we've probably both read don't panic a history of hitchhikers guide, uh, which is really a history of Douglas Adams written by Neil Gaiman. Really. I think before he'd even done Sandman or around the time when he was just starting it up. Yeah. I love the overlap there. I love the fact that <laughs> Neil Gaiman, an author I love uh, <laughs> and wrote a book about Douglas Adams, another author that I loved before I really loved Neil Gaiman. So yeah, that was the first time I ever heard that name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you want to know more about Douglas Adams, you can read that. It's been a long time since I've read that. Like, probably, God, at least 20 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Much of it. A, a while for that, too. Most of it seemed to make some sort of sense at the time. <laughs> I, I, think, I think there's been a revised version that says Mostly Harmless, uh, because I think the early versions didn't, Mostly Harmless wasn't out yet. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, I mean, I, f I figure most of the people who are listening to this probably know a fair amount about Douglas Adams, um, but I thought this might be an opportunity for us to discuss kind of what we liked of his other work. Uh, the most major thing probably being Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency and its sequel, The Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. Uh, what's your take on those? Do you like those? Do you not like those? I sort do. Like uh, I mean, I'm... I'm not sure that's the best place to start talking about him, but I think it's a good place to uh, it's a good place to jump into the meat of um, of what makes him tick. Uh, and of course, um, being a Doctor Who fan and and a fan of the fact that you know Douglas Adams was uh, 
um, script editing during the uh, the latter portions of the Tom Baker era era and uh, the funnier uh, parts of the era for the most part, mm-hmm. which I imagine we'll talk about uh, soon. Um, the fact that Dirk Gently is kind of a bits of combinations of two of his uh, Doctor Who scripts with some other stuff uh, thrown in and without the Doctor. Um, uh, that said, uh, probably my favorite sequence in that um, has nothing to do with Doctor Who at all, and that's the whole Electric Monk scene. Oh, yes. Um, I, I uh, uh, absolutely adore that. Um, and... Uh, I remember less of Long Dark Tea Time, except that there was, I think that was the one that had the um, uh, calculator where everything above uh, any number greater than four came out to a suffusion of yellow. And so at one point, there's something (laughs) like he goes into a diner and and the waitress says, your bill comes to a suffusion of yellow. So he paid it and left. Um, You know, I, uh, (laughs) I, so I I enjoy those books, um, but you know, it's a, it's a different kettle of fish and, and um, it's, not nearly the same level of uh, philosophy, I guess, as you would get from hitchhikers, um, yeah, you know, and, and and their bureaucracy and and um, and you know, um, I'll say epistemology, but no, I mean uh, d- definitely some of the big questions and things that they kind of cover in there, although you know, in a, in a, a silly way. Um, so it's it's less meat there, I think, than uh, than hitchhikers is for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I do enjoy that, and you know, I enjoyed. That the the snippets of salmon of doubt that we have, and you know, it was okay. Um, and I I do remember I've seen some of the uh, TV show, which um, is basically, you know, uh, it doesn't really have much in common except having the main character as a jumping off point. But um, which I enjoyed, but it, but you know, he wasn't involved, but because he's been gone for a while by that point. But uh, I, I I enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, um, it you know. And I will reread the first one occasionally, um, but uh, it, it doesn't hold a candle to Hitchhikers to me. Yeah, I I don't really remember much about it except for the fact that Dirk Gently is basically a, a cross between City of Death and Shada um, with a, a stand-in for the Doctor and his companion. Uh, but yeah, I, I sort of remember reading through it and kind of being like, well, this is fine, but it's a little bit stuffier and kind of duller, I feel like, than... Uh, hitchhikers in a lot of ways. Of course, I was pretty young when I read it. Um, and then Long Dark Tea Time, the only thing I remember about it is Thor being involved somehow. Yes. Uh, and not the Thor from the third um, uh, from the third Hitchhiker book either. Um, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I forgot that Thor was in the third Hitchhiker book, so yeah, you are retaining um, a lot he, more than I do, which is usual. He, sh- he shows up at the, the longer, the long... Um, uh, the party that's been running for far too long. And oh, Arthur, yes. Dent, Arthur Dent tries to pick a fight with him uh, for Trillion, right. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, well, do you want to back up? I mean, we can talk a little bit about the fact that, uh, you know, Douglas Adams, uh, early on, as well as doing Doctor Who, um, had a, a, a kind of slight role in Monty Python. He appeared in it a couple of times. Um he co-wrote a sketch, which I, I sort of didn't know until we started our mm-hmm. exhaustive research by scanning this page. Um, so that's cool. It's not a sketch that I really have committed to memory or anything because it's one. It's from one of the few episodes that I did not watch uh, over and over as a kid. So 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, so it was it was the well. the shortened episode of the fourth season once uh, Graham, uh, once uh, Cleese had had moved on basically, mm-hmm. and they were just kind of finishing things out. Uh, I mean, you know, the the fact is that he had a um, uh, that uh, Douglas Adams and you know knew Graham Chapman basically, and that was kind of his in as far as that goes, um, and. Uh, um, that, that's kind of how he got involved in there. And I mean, uh, we can talk about some of the other stuff that, that they attempted to write, including, um, a, as it mentions here, uh, something called Out of the Trees. Like, there, there are a few things that have their the genesis of Hitchhikers, um, or that uh, it, Douglas Adams was good at recycling what bits he wrote for other things. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the Out of the Trees segment, I believe, involves, you know, the descendant of Genghis Khan, who now is, uh, is you know, uh, living in England, essentially, but kind of having some deep relation to his, his uh, ancestors. And, and th- there's little references in the book version of Hitchhikers to Mr. Prosser um, as being, you know, uh, that, you know, he wasn't uh, trying to dismantle the Great Wall of China. He was just knocking a house down, basically. And, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, he was, a, he was a great recycler. Reminds me a little of Stephen Moffat in that way. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, we talked about the fact that I mean, be City of Death and Shada basically make up a good point of of um, uh, Dirk Gently, and of course the fact that um, on top of that, uh, Life, the Universe, and Everything is recycled from the unused Doctor Who and the Cricket Men. So uh, mm-hmm. the the only thing that really didn't come back, I guess, is Pirate Planet. Interestingly enough. Um, yeah, uh, which is not one of my favorite episodes of Doctor Who, to be honest with you. Um, I always found it a little bit uh, tedious in a lot of respects. I mean, there's there's definitely some good bits in it, and there's some good uh, things about the story, uh, the way the story is kind of constructed and what's actually going on. Yeah. That I actually I like, think but that the, the drama the direction, itself is kind of like, mm, yeah. I think the direction was, was kind of so-so. Pennant Roberts and also Bruce Purchase is uh, way over-the-top uh, um Captain, I, I think it was a little bit hard to swallow. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, but City of Death is, of course, my favorite Doctor Who episode of all time. Amen. Or story of all time. Put it that way. Um, Shot is pretty good, too. Um, uh, especially the parts set in the university, I think, are a lot of fun from what we've seen. Um, and I love the concept of a room that's a TARDIS. That's fun. Um, I'd say we have m- multiple yeah. versions of it, too, to listen to or watch whenever you wish. Ooh, and here's something that I uh, kind of didn't know. It says in the Doctor Who 2012 Christmas episode, The Snowmen, writer Stephen Moffat was inspired by a storyline that Adams pitched called The Doctor Retires. Ah, yes. I had not heard that. How interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, in a, in a way that also has some of the... Um, uh, Professor Cronotus kind of comes from that in a way, too. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, other stuff about Douglas Adams. Um, I've never read the meaning of Lyft or the deeper meaning of Lyft. It, it, it kind of sounds like it's along the lines of Sniglets being this thing in the 80s for like making up words and defining them in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I haven't read it, so I, I can't really criticize yeah. it. I have read Last Chance to See. Yes, I was just about to mention that. I mean, that that's, that's interesting that, again, you know, the... Um, 
conservation and preservation, well, not quite the same thing, but I mean, in terms of his interest in, in ecology and vanishing species and things like that, uh, that I think make its way into, I mean, you see references in Hitchhikers that you can tell where his, where his um, interests lie. And, and mm-hmm. you know, he, he threw himself into that. And I adore, um, I, I adore Last Chance to See. Um, uh, his description of, I think, it's the cockapos, the, the, uh, the birds that, you know, frankly, um, if it weren't for the fact that they were stuck on a little island somewhere, probably would have died out a long time ago because it sounds like they're probably among the stupidest. <laughs> Evolution would have gotten rid of them a long time ago. Oh, man. And just, just the descriptions of some of their inanities is brilliant in itself. Um, I really need to read it again. It's a very short book. If, you, if you're if you not aware of it for some reason, Last Chance to See is uh, he and a photographer, was it? Or an environmentalist? Mark or naturalist? Cardine, uh, yeah, I think so went around the world uh, to various places that were, they were both interested in visiting. Um, and it, it's, it's a nonfiction book uh, and it's, it's all about some of the animals that they ran into and some of the things that happened there. But as I say that too, it's been a long time since I've read it. Um, and it's high time that I checked it out again because I remember enjoying it quite a bit. Um, one thing I did want to mention is uh, that, while he was in college, you know, jumping back a little bit, that uh, you know he was, um, he was. Uh, um, it's interesting because he was in Cambridge, and again we talk about the who's who of was in, you know the the Oxford and Cambridge folks. Um, uh, so again, we see comedy coming out of the uh, the premier institutions for that particular mm-hmm. era. Yeah, like, uh, you know, overlapping with Python and Doctor Who and everything, that it, it really is a, a small yeah. little circle, kind of like what to, was happening with the young ones. Right, well, the young ones, it, to contrast with what happens with the young ones and, mm-hmm. and you know, the set of, of alternative slash working class, for lack of a better word, um, comedians that came really in the 80s as, uh, um, as the next wave. Mm-hmm. It says here he one of his odd jobs that he took that I think uh, kind of eventually led to hitchhikers uh, was <laughs> being employed as a bodyguard by a family who had made their fortune in oil. That's fascinating. Huh. It's very difficult for well, you know, in a way, it's not difficult for me to picture him as a as a bodyguard. I think he was very tall, wasn't he? He was. There's a there's a great line in which I don't quite remember well enough, but um, uh, that in uh, that is in don't panic where um supposedly they said uh where you know gaiman says how tall like cleese is and 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 uh um it, like between cleese and douglas adams and graham chapman they were all like six uh, over six feet and like two of them were, were six three and like the other one was six two and was therefore you know 2.5 percent less funnier mm. than the others or something mm-hmm. i don't i don't remember the exact line but something like that yeah they're very tall yeah, um, and if you don't know the the story about how he came up with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which most of you probably do, um, he was hitchhiking across Europe, I guess, or he was at least carrying mm-hmm. a copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Europe, um, and that's what gave rise to the, the concept of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is kind of his M.O. is sort of this exaggeration science fiction, you know, of taking something that's uh, ordinary and then blowing it up to uh, a different context where it's bigger um, and kind of exploring the consequences of that, which I really enjoy. And of course, as I alluded to in the last episode, really kind of like took on board as a style of comedy that I still really enjoy today. Um, one other thing that, that went into uh, Hitchhiker's um, 
was that, uh, and it's funny, I don't, I don't see this in the Wikipedia, but I definitely recall this from Don't Panic, so yay, two sources of research, um, <laughs> was that there was a treatment he was working on originally called the, To the Ends of the Earth, and the idea was oh, it was yes. kind of going to be a miniseries in which each one, the Earth, was destroyed in a d totally different way. And this was kind of the first idea, and his name was like, instead of Arthur Dent, it was like Alaric B or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. um, don't don't panic. Has photo at the very end, photocopied bits of the original um, uh, treatment for it, uh, some of which we'd recognize. And I think it may even had, you know, little scribbled ideas of where to go from that, which you know, most of which never made it anywhere. But um, it's interesting interesting to think how things would have gone different where instead of in continuing the story, it would have been little vignettes instead. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm for one happy that they did what they did, what he mm -hmm. did. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, a few other little aspects of Douglas Adams, um, his, his sort of tie-in with prog rock, specifically Pink Floyd and I guess Proko uh -huh. apparently, yeah. um, which, which in some ways explains the... Uh, the dire straits illusions in so long and thanks for all the fish. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. He's um, played on, st on stage with, um, with, uh, Floyd. I, I think it was yeah. after Roger Waters left. I think Gilmore was the person that he was, uh, particularly friendly with. And in fact, there is a, in the radio series, there is a bit that has got cut later on for rights issues, uh, on the surface of Magrathea when, um, when, uh, Arthur's like, oh, yeah, what else can your robot do? And, and Mart and, um, Marvin says rock and roll, and he plays. Or, or the, the the line before it was, uh, "Did you know your robot could hum like Pink Floyd?" <laughs> and and in the original, um, actually, they had snippets from it, and I don't remember which song or anything, but uh, I guess it got cut for rights issues. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's kind of funny to think of that uh, connection here, and of course, he was um, big into computers and specifically the Macintosh at the time. That that was one of the newer. Uh, things on the horizon, um, which was interesting to me because, of course, we got a Macintosh around that time, my family, hmm. as we've talked about before. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. He, he, we, I think we've talked about the Hitchhiker's text adventure game uh, and the Bureaucracy text adventure game. There's also Starship I mean, Titanic, which uh -huh. he developed with Terry Jones from Monty Python. Both as the, as the, um, as the computer game and the uh, the book, which was okay, mm -hmm. but um, it, it's interesting, you know, for uh, the Mac, the fact that he fell in love with the Mac, and it was funny because, um, you know, he he was kind of not the most, you know, if you look at his comments on the serious Cyberdynamics Corporation and things like that, that that you know, computers, uh, you know, I suppose potentially dehumanizing or what have you. I I, I don't think. He was overly fond of, of those particular things, and then like the Mac came along, and he became a major major proponent of uh, of the Macintosh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and also I guess a uh, a radical atheist, as he described himself. Um, so there's a Dawkins connection there. Oh yeah, that's right, um, and not just because of uh, Lala Ward. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Yep. Uh, for, for those so, of you who don't know that uh, Lala Ward, who played uh, the second Romana on Hitchhikers, uh, sorry, on Doctor Who, um, uh, and was briefly married to Tom Baker, subsequently married Richard Dawkins. Yeah, all these connections. Uh, mm -hmm. He was the first person to buy a Mac in Europe, it says. That's yeah, I believe it. 
Yeah, I, I think I have an fly. article with him in Electronics Game Magazine um, where he was being interviewed about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and of course, uh, again, a lot of people who are listening to this uh, know, but he, he died rather young. Uh, he was 49, uh, just uh, just after the turn of the century, really. Yeah. Which is sad. Um, I, I've, I've heard people say that he might be... Um, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I've, I, there was a thread on Twitter at one point that I read that said, uh, you know, which which person now dead, I can't remember if they said author or just, you know, famous person now dead, would have uh, lost the most of their sort of cachet on Twitter. Uh, and someone said <laughs> Douglas Adams. And I have to wonder if that would be true, um, if he would be the sort of guy who, you know, kind of like Richard Dawkins uh, has started to become a gadfly to some of the more progressive uh, wings of, of Twitter. Um, I, I I don't know about that. I, I don't know if he would. I mean, Dawkins, I, I think he'd always kind of had that in him. Uh, Doug's had, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not I would, so sure about that. I would that. hope that's not the case, but uh, I'm, I'm glad in a way, I'm glad in a way that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you can be a staunch, a, a solid atheist without being a militant one. Um, yes, like me. Yeah. So, um yeah, I, I, God, if he were around, I mean, you know, he saw the beginnings of what would have been, um, you know, I mean, we all walk around with little hitchhiker's guides essentially in our pockets at this point. Yeah, and I think, it's true. You know, seeing the beginning of it, I mean, the uh, the iPod came out a few months after his after his passing, and um, you know, for him to have seen uh, a phone or an iPad at this point, like he knew stuff was coming. He already knew the web was there, and that had the capacity mm-hmm. to be uh, to be somewhat. Um, Guidish. I mean, they they were putting together something that looked kind of guidish, I believe, at the time. Um, so, you know, um, I, I would have loved to see how, what he would have made of of this world, which has just gotten crazier. Yeah. And and you know, if it's the case that if he had written a sixth book, that would have been maybe a little happier. He acknowledged the fifth one. He was in a uh, not too happy place, and you know, maybe. Uh, maybe we would have, you know, at least one more work from him as he was very, mm-hmm. uh, as, uh, as it quotes here, his line about, uh, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing noises they, they make as they go by, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, include being locked in a hotel suite with his editor for three weeks to ensure that so long, thanks for all the fish was completed. Um, you know, that, that was, uh, I, I think there was another quote that was in, um, don't panic, which says, uh, um, writing is easy. All you have to do is stare at the paper until your forehead bleeds. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and something about it, um, I think it was Paul Simon, One Trick Pony, that he must have like worn the record out playing so much. Yeah, I don't think I could... These days, I don't think I could write to something with lyrics. But Yeah, I, I, I don't think so, too. I think it would just be more... Um, it, it, would, it would distract me too much, absolutely. On the other hand, I'm almost the age he was when he died, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to. On that cheery yep. note, um, let's watch some more of his work, or at least what was made of his work, um, as we last left. Well, actually, we'll do the little recap uh, on the other side of the little uh, musical bridge between segments. So we'll see you on the other side of that to watch I like this Guide to the Galaxy.
All right, so we're we're on episode two. Um, there's not a lot to recap. I don't even know if we need to. Maybe we'll get that in the, the episode. I forget if it does it. But uh, the Earth has been destroyed. Uh, an Earthman named Arthur Dent and his alien friend Ford Prefect have hitchhiked onto a spaceship, one of the spaceships that destroyed the Earth, and are about to be shown to the captain, uh, who is gross. That pretty much catches up? I think it does. I, I think that's pretty succinct. All right, everybody. Uh, as you know, what's going to happen is we will all start this at the same time. Uh, so I would suggest you go ahead and cue your episode up, and then we will uh, count down three, two, one, play, and we'll all start at the same time. So I'm getting mine queued up right now. And the BBC logo is exploding into color, so I'm backing up to zero. Uh, yeah. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm good. I'm all set. Okay. Uh, so we're ready to go. Three, two, one, play. You commented on this last time, but it is weird that the theme music is worse in the TV show than it I is know. on the radio. Ground control to Major Tom. Yeah. I mean, it was the, hey, it's the 80s. Let's throw a synth in everywhere. Oof. I do love the fact that that seems to be, you know, that's not animated. That seems to be a physical, physical <laughs> 3D that they moved around. It's like an eraser somebody carved. Far out, man. So the interesting thing about this is that this is the entry to the book, but it's, mm -hmm. but this is, this narration is part two in the beginning of part two. Not anymore. It's smartwatches now. Yeah, it's true. Owner of a lonely heart. <laughs> is that Adams? Could be. Looked like him. Yeah, oh, yep. it is. It absolutely is. I had forgotten about that. Excuse me, how tall are you? <laughs> Out of the trees. And now oh for something God. completely different. I completely it's... forgot that we saw his naked butt, the author's naked butt, in the second episode of the series. What other TV show gives you that? Listen to that cue. That's yep. Logopolis. It is a bit. And we didn't meet Fenchurch for another seven years. Uh 
See that, George Lucas? No rings around that explosion. <laughs> David Dixon. <laughs> and not Mark, uh, not uh, Jeffrey McGiven after all. <laughs> David Dixon played Ariel in a production of The Tempest. Interesting. Oh, now they're just improvising. <laughs> just go with the original. Wasn't that what Deadpool was put inside? <laughs> There we go. <laughs> Still funny. Grutty peen. That's not what I remember it as. Interesting. Yeah. It's my favorite bath time gurgles. That's right. Or Paul <laughs> Neil Milne Johnston in the original, which Douglas changed because that was a real person. <laughs> oh, God. Got a Lewis Carroll flavor to it. <laughs> I love the fact I can still recite the original <laughs> verbatim. We didn't need that interjection. <laughs> I'm a time lord. Original end of first episode.
All you need is love. Now, one of my favorite lines in this, which Douglas Adams admits he's stolen and has been stolen many times, but I love the line. <laughs> We've got a minute before it pops up. The gizmo? <laughs> that was really bad translation. Yeah. I'm amused by the fact that the, uh, the distorted voice is actually somewhat similar to how they distort Marvin's voice. Mm-hmm. That was a really poor Beethoven. It really was.
this line. Oh, yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, critics. Powers of Ten. <laughs> the music, like the, the background music to all of the guide segments is what really makes it, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yikes. <laughs> Bow tie. Bow ties are cool. Like the fact you could barely mark make out what Mark Ring Davy is saying. Mm. Who's regenerating? Hmm. <laughs> but that's the wrong person. <laughs> some reason that's one bit I would rather hear described than actually see <laughs> attempted. They are doing a heroic job trying to show this stuff, though. Yeah, that's one bit where I would have just rather had them staring out and not see what they're seeing. I like that they tried. 
If it's yellow, don't eat it. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Frobisher. <laughs> And I as Emperor Penguin. <laughs> that is a very disconcerting effect on Ford there. Was she married to Peter Davison by that point already? I think she was. I think that's why he's in it later. What? Was that really a commercial break? I don't know. It is weird. To dream the impossible dream or virtually improbable dream. You can't tell me it doesn't look like Don Quixote. <laughs>
I'm glad they kept that a smart arse. <laughs> what a strange place to cut for commercial. God. It was a great gag in the radio series, but yep. they just didn't have the ability to make it work. And let's not even talk about what the movie did. design <laughs> and the robot too <laughs> Conky drive. Hmm. Okay, that's funny. From Pee Wee's uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yep. He's supposed to look incredibly sleek and modern. And it's just despite the fact that he looks so great, he holds himself badly and is depressed. He's not supposed to look like he's falling apart. I don't think I can stand that outfit much longer, Trillian. <laughs> oh, they've got a Frog Star Scout in there. That was in Bad Wolf Bay. <laughs> Douglas Adams again. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, they've got a disaster area shirt on. Oh, nice. Missed that. What, even in my belly button? Ford is very doctorish in this bit. Oh, yeah. Wait. I'm digging in more and more as this goes on, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. He's kind of got, like, the sweater reminds me of... Uh, Sylvester McCoy, even though he's obviously not there yet. Mm-hmm. He's um, got a tenant jacket on. Tenant, I was just thinking that. <laughs> At least the voice acting is still decent. Ah, oh, God bless Stephen Moore. <laughs> Who else wants to see Marvin interact with C-3PO? <laughs> I don't know if I could take it.
some reason, I'm, I'm now picturing an adult Rupert Grint playing Ford, that scene. <laughs> I want him to be a little more animated. Mm-hmm. So is Eccentrica Golumbitz the triple-breasted whore with the heart of gold? Oh, God. It's... <laughs> I love that bit, Trillian. Excellent. Remember they said that he was discovered uh, because he played a sleazy used car salesman. Oh, yeah. And they figured he'd be perfect for Zaphod.
<laughs> forgot about this. <laughs> nice eyebrows. I like the fact they debated what happened to his other head yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they came up with the idea of uh, putting the other um, head in a cage and pretending it was a parrot. Why didn't they do that? Oh, I see. Yeah. In the uh, in the text adventure game, that's what they did. Don't eat the yellow snow and don't drink the yellow drink. <laughs> and cut before we could pour it all over the spare head. <laughs> right. I mean, there's no synth here, but it's still a very odd reworking. Yeah, it's slightly better, but not by much. It's a very Doctor Who-ish ending there. Yep. 81 is very early for TV. Think I mean, about it's... the other stuff that was on at this time, like yeah, even in American TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, so... Uh, well, before we get too much farther, we'll we'll take yep. a quick interlude and we'll be right back after the musical break. All right, we're back. It's time to talk about episode two of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Jeff, I interrupted you. We were talking about the fact that this was 1981 um, when, honestly, a, a lot of TV was, was a little bit janky. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, all right, I mean, and certainly if you're talking for British TV, so you're at the end of the Baker era of, uh, of Who, and, mm -hmm. um, and Blake Seven was towards the end, right? That was also... Uh, late 70s to early 80s. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the last season of Blake 7 was 81, but I could be wrong. Yeah, so uh, we're, we're right around that. No, well, anyway. Yeah, right around that time. Um, you know, in terms of American uh, 
TV, I mean, you had um, Battlestar Galactica or Galactica 80, really, by that point, oh, which yeah. we shouldn't mention. But, um, <laughs> you know, and Buck, and Buck Rogers, so that was late 70s, um, of which I, I think you could say that probably the effects were better there, but that's not too surprising. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm I not, I wouldn't ding it so much on the effects. I mean, there's some stuff, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the spare head they knew was going to be a disaster, and they tried the best they could. But, um, yeah. you know, it is what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, I still enjoy the computer animation. Um, and, uh, and in fact, you know, the, the bits where they weren't doing computer animation, for example, the infinite improbability drive and, um, and the folks at a party and stuff like that, I was sitting there longing for, to have it animated instead. I was told, I mean, that, you know, they actually do that, did that by hand and it takes a long time for them to do. So some of it was probably even more cost cutting for them to do it, um, Mm -hmm. uh, acted out. But, uh, for the most part, I think think those asides work better as animation. Uh, the the one exception, I suppose, is when they were talking about the planet with having you know the excess bits removed from you when you when you leave, and you're just seeing little postcards and somebody screaming in the background. That actually I thought was pretty effective. <laughs> it kind of was. Um, some of the bits, like I said, I think work better to the imagination. Um, as with the the trippy infinite probability sequence, although that's one bit where I love the deviations they did in the movie. Certainly, the bit where everybody turns into yarn, <laughs> because watching yarn creatures barf apparently is the funniest thing in the damn world. That is that is definitely the highlight of the movie. I will say, um, one of them. I mean, you know, uh, Stephen the, Fry and Alan Rickman were probably you know the the pitch perfect cast. Okay, fair bit, enough. Yeah. That's true too. Uh, but. Uh, Certainly, I much prefer Zooey Deschanel as Trillian than Susan. Wait, what's her name? The, uh, Sandra Dickinson. Sandra Dickinson. But I mean, how could you not? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'd still rather have Sue Sheridan, of course. Uh, yeah. It's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that they they made her they made her in this one so ditzy and um and you know God that outfit I mean that's just about every little you know um. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry that made um, that made Perry look Victorian. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's just it's pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's that's no fault of Sandra Dixon Nickinson's. I think that was just the choices for. Um, it was horrible. So. Yeah. Yeah. They really are dismal. Uh, she. It's uh, just a a total miscast there. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, in terms of the rest of the episode, um. It's interesting. I still feel like it it's works better for radio where, where the lines are, are much more fast-paced. I will say that I like the Vogons here better than um, than the, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, in general, obviously, I like this better than the movie. But um, it struck me on the fact that, it struck me the fact that um, the Vogons are, even though they're doing movement and things that might slow them down, like they're still fully intelligible and what have you. They, they had such low, lumbering, echoing voices in the movie instead of being mm-hmm. um uh, that you that they're just supposed to sound officious and not and not booming um uh, so actually for all the for all the odd weird early 80s bbc um alien picked up i almost feel like that works to its favor here um yeah and, I would, you know Mar- i would agree i think that they're uh i mean they still they still look like <laughs> turn of the eighties British sci-fi creatures. But, uh, but like you said, they're, they're pretty articulate and I, I think decently well voice acted. Like I, I like the nuances yeah. of, 
uh, the captain's uh, acting as well. Uh, yeah, there were bits I didn't nice care point. for him in the first episode, but the second one, yeah, I liked him mm-hmm. in this. And, and of course, you know, for voice acting, I mean, you know, Stephen Moore is Stephen Moore. Um, you know, Marvin is a highlight no matter where he pops in. Yeah, I think that the weakest part of the whole thing for me is still pacing. Like, it is it is glacial to me watching this happen. Like, it really needs to be faster maybe more modern in 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 that way um yeah the the the, just the comic timing isn't quite there because it's so you know uh you know even Stephen moore he's having to match his uh voice acting to the lumbering of this robot and you can tell there are places that the timing could have been better but he had to match it and so everyone is just like standing around staring (laughs) while the robot finishes his lines these are these are long single shots with yeah. um you know I mean it's interesting the bits where they got away from that like for example as uh as Ford and Arthur are being dragged by the guard of course for bits of that we see that but there's also bits uh, I, I think that's a sequence where you actually see the ship from the outside and it starts from a far distance as the dialogue is going in and eventually zooms in on the ship so they get away with with having to watch them lumber down the corridor for parts of it mm-hmm. and I thought that was very effective maybe that was during the heart of gold but I, th- I thought it was during the uh, during the getting thrown out of the space segment yeah it really is a shocking contrast to me still between the kind of like film stuff in the first episode that you know used angles and and you know decent timing maybe not you know virtuosic but you know the jokes yeah. all worked and then as soon as you get onto a spaceship you know, in a soundstage with video, it just, it, it just drags. Like it's, it's a dirge <laughs> at that point. And I, I feel like, uh, Mark Wing Davey, as much as I loved his, his voice acting in, in the radio series, it just doesn't quite, uh, catch fire. I think in, in this, and I don't also... know if it's just because of the way he looks or, uh, or what's going on, but it just, it, it's not the same, definitely. Like I think it's tough for him to gesture and be too demonstrative when you have another mm-hmm. head that, you know, that head had a habit of falling off and had a habit of malfunctioning. So, um, so they, they I, I think that that really limited his, uh, what he could do in some respects. That's probably true. It's got to be inhibiting. But I mean, the, the radio version of Zaphod to me is David Lee Roth. And the mm-hmm. TV version is Sammy Hagar, so that's what we're dealing Damn. with here. Well, hey, I, I liked um, you know uh, for unlawful carnal knowledge and uh, and <laughs> and um, I, I like that album. So uh, I, but I agree, I, I would much prefer David Lee Roth. Uh, yeah, it's just the the nimbleness of his voice acting compared to this, I think, is is sorely missed. And of course, we've already talked about Trillion and how. Oh, it just what a missed opportunity. She does the best she can. She's just miscast is really what it comes down to. Yeah. And the outfit, as you say, is terrible. Yeah. Um, um, you know, lest it sound like we rag on this too much, I, I would say that, you know, it's certainly with a lot of the jokes, you know, it's funny that, I mean, I think we've both heard this so many times that it, it's past the point where we'll, we'll, we'll giggle at them anymore. We may mm-hmm. recite along with them. I, I think of... Um, I remember the Python saying that when they did Live at the Hollywood Bowl, that or, or that they were, or, or one of the other venues they're at, they're at, they were shocked that they were expecting people to laugh in places and they didn't, and they realized that people weren't laughing because they were all saying the lines with them. 
<laughs> and and like I kind of feel like that in bits with Hitchhikers yeah. that it's so brilliant. I want to watch it with somebody that's never seen it before to see their uh, their reaction because through my eyes or whatever, it's it's nice and comfortable. But I'm not giggling over it any mm -hmm. anymore. I'm just well, I'm looking for the little bits and pieces of the brilliance. I, I did think about during the uh, during the Vogon poetry scene that if somebody has never encountered that in any form before, it's a pretty clever little uh, like flip on the usual tropes. It's it's a pretty funny little parody of those types of scenes, and uh, it, it's got to be if you're encountering it for the first time, a lot funnier than it is to I us mean, going, hmm, is this fast enough? I, I always feel like that. That's I mean, you know, they added a lot of extra um, extra stanzas but that's because they needed that to get through the entire yeah. scene um and uh uh you know it's interesting that um it's almost a counterpoint to <laughs> surrealism in the underlying <laughs> metaphor uh it, it's it's a counterpoint to the spanish inquisition it's the opposite of the comfy chair oh yes you know um it's the this is something that nobody could possibly be tortured by no uh, except for the <laughs> fact that uh that um, it's clear that Douglas Adams had a bone to pick with somebody so much so that he had to change oh, yeah. the name of said somebody later on. Um, um, so, yeah, it's yeah, why you don't I piss think, off authors, folks. Well, I'll say this also. I, I think that, you know, uh, Simon Jones is doing a fantastic job with this. Like, I, I think everything he does uh, vocally, physically, everything else is on point in this, which is, you know, it's a role that's kind of the straight man role, but mm -hmm. he is absolutely perfect in it i think like dixon is a little bit over the map sometimes he's fantastic sometimes he's just kind of like there <laughs> but uh but simon jones is terrific yeah it's interesting that dixon i think does work better in this medium i'm not sure mm -hmm. i'm not sure i mean we could talk about you know whether physically jeffrey mcgiven would be whatever but but i actually think that where um it, David Dixon is is a little more laid back in some cases, and in other cases, I, I think he's less successful when he gets all as he did in episode one at one point, where he gets kind of a little bit um, uh, manic and upset or whatever is where it doesn't work. But for the most part, where he's laid back and as we said, kind of doctorish, mm -hmm. um, like I, he he works very role, uh, well in that role, and certainly is a counterpoint to Simon Jones. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that that part is great. I, I think McGivern probably would have been physically imposing in a way that maybe would not have worked as well. Yeah, because uh, he's he's just a you know intimidating dude in some ways. I do love his voice. It is great, mm. um, but it's nice to have uh, like a contrast. It's nice in a way that it, that that part keeps getting recast because it's like you see all these different versions of that character. Mm -hmm. which I well, think is fun. and. You know, the brilliant thing is in um, in Mostly Harmless, you know, where you start dealing with, um, a, a, at least in the, um, you know, all right, spoilers, but I mean, you know, Mostly Harmless deals with one point with um, uh, alternate uh, dimensions, alternate realities as Arthur gets blipped into another one. And the fact that in the radio series, they made an excuse to actually have the, uh, the you know, alternate trillion and they're like the alternate trillion is American, and so the alternate one was played by uh, by Sandra Dickinson. So they found an excuse to get her on oh the radio God. series as Trillion. And they also um, I forget they cast David Dixon as somebody as well on that. So they they found oh, a way funny. to work them in, and I thought that was uh, that was rather nice. Yeah, it's sweet. Uh, I was struck this time through about how clever an idea the improbability drive is. Like, 
maybe it wasn't so true then, but I feel like at this point I've, I've heard like every, uh, explanation for traveling faster than light <laughs> that there is. And a lot of them are very samey, but like the idea that this, this ship is running on improbability and that they rescue these two and it, it's, it's part of the plot, how improbable it is that they would turn up at exactly the right moment to do that. Uh, I, I think is, um, you know, masterstroke. I really, I really just love that, uh, that whole trope. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's two things. It's, it's lampshading the whole idea of they get rescued at the last minute due to coincidence. Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, we've made up, we've made up science babble for why that in fact is not coincidence. And the other thing is I always felt like that was kind of a little play on perpetual motion machines and, and, uh, and different snake oh, yes. oil that that's out there. Yeah, I, I, it, it struck me as like super clever this time through. Uh, I don't think I ever really noticed how. how I, I mean, idea I, is. I will say, as amusing as the infinite probability drive is, and the excuse to do the trippier uh, sequences, um, uh, I, I actually am more fascinated by the bistro math in uh, in life, the universe, and everything. Um, just because you know, a, as he writes it up, that it it almost sounds like. You know, having been a math major, it almost sounds like something that's uh, that's math-like, and and that kind of tickles my funny bone on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's there's in fact one bit that is in the books that's not in the the Lady Raider series when they attempted it, and it says something like the the trickiest number here, um, and, and I think it's um, uh, a number that's supposed to be at what time people will will arrive. Um, and it says something like this number is, is the rarest of all things in math. And it's something like a reperverse exclusion, which means a number that is defined as anything other than itself. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, the one time where people will not arrive and, and like, you know, it, it seems like every little parody of set theory and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that just, uh, that just tickles my funny bone on that. Uh, but, uh, but for both the Beaster math and infinite probability drive and, and also for things in other arenas, like, you know, his proof of the non-existence of God in the first episode, like, you know, you can think of which university classes you would have been taking where that would have been a parody Mm -hmm. of a particular, uh, train of thought or school of thought. Um, and I absolutely adore that. Yeah, I do too. Uh, one of our friends on Twitter remarked that, uh, he would like to see a version of the show that's basically just all the guide bits strung together. And, I have to say that would be just as entertaining as anything else because I, all of those things are uh, just joyous to me. I, I love the guide bits. Would I want them just that front and center? It's kind of like what I want all Marvin. Um, I, I yeah. think I think these things are best when they're when they're doled out in bits and pieces. And uh, you know, I was just I've, I've been watching Community now from the beginning, and you know, as much as I love Troy and Abed. Um, and their little and their little bits. Um, I, I'm not sure I would want to watch a whole TV series with just them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, you make a mistake when you put the front center. So, so I, I would love to see the bits. I mean, I'm sure you can go on YouTube and watch a video. Somebody's probably taken all the hitchhiker bits and put them together. But yeah, that's uh, true. But I, I'd rather see them interworked in the story, especially considering that um, there, there's an, usually a nice little interplay between the um, between the interludes and uh, and what happens uh, on either side of them. Sure. Yeah, it's true. Um, but they are probably the most well-realized thing in this version of the story. Oh, so yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I kind of get the idea there. Um, well, we probably have a lot more we could say, but maybe we'll save it for next time. Uh, of course, we're going to watch episode three uh, in episode three of season three of Starship Podcast Warlock. And so we will see you back then. 
Um, please follow us on Twitter. The handle is uh, Starship Warlock without podcast in the middle. Um, we would love to hear from you there about what you like, what you don't like, what you think of Hitchhikers, what you think we should do next, and really anything else you want to tell us. That is the best way to get in touch. Um, and uh, apart from that, we will see you next time. This has been Drew. This has been Jeff. And you've been listening to Starship Podcast Warlock. Warlock. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>